We're going to hear a couple short excerpts from The Martyr's Mirror, where 16th century uh, martyrs were interrogated about their thoughts on communion. Uh, the Martyr's Mirror is a remarkable book. Um, it's very big, um, over a thousand pages. Um, I don't know how many of you have actually opened this book. You may have it in your house, but don't open it very often. That's certainly true at our house. Um, it's, if you want something to entice you to open it up, the other name for Martyr's Mirror is the Bloody Theater. Um, and yeah, there's, uh, if you read carefully, you'll see uh, there's, there's some really awful deaths that were experienced um, by Christians from the time of Christ to the year A.D. 1660. Um, so uh, I, I, before we hear the, uh, the excerpts here, I thought I would read uh, the preface to the 1950 edition of The Martyr's Mirror, because you might kind of wonder why would people want to read about really awful deaths and the letters that martyrs wrote to their children knowing they wouldn't return uh, from being imprisoned. Um, and there's, there's a reason for it, and some of it has to do with what we've been thinking about, the centrality of Jesus um, being steadfast in faith. Um, but here's... Uh, uh, the, the preface to the 1950 edition. It was in the year 1742 that the Mennonites of Eastern Pennsylvania wrote to their brethren in the Netherlands, reporting their numerical growth in the New World and their fear of war being imminent. Three years later, they wrote again, repeating the contents of their first letter and making a special appeal for assistance in the publication of a German edition of Von Brauch's Bloody Theater or Martyr's Mirror. The six ministers who signed the letter stated that they wrote at, that, um, at the instance of the other congregations. They were concerned to prepare their people for the cross of testing and suffering which war would bring to it. They said simply that, quote, it becomes us to strengthen ourselves for such circumstances with patience and endurance and to make every preparation for steadfast constancy in our faith. So I, I found that remarkable to read that, that preface from 1742. Um, uh, I, during the, what was I think known as the French and Indian War or soon before that and then shortly followed by what we know as the Revolutionary War and all of the wars since then um, and how uh, a, a book like this uh, can help us to strengthen our own faith and be steadfast in our commitment to uh, resisting the call to war and how difficult that can be. Uh, so the story, and with some help from Noel and Liz, um, A little bit about the Martyr's Mirror as it relates to communion. The Martyr's Mirror contains many court records of questions and answers about communion. In them, we can see the difference between the Anabaptist understanding of communion and the, state, the way the state church viewed communion. Elizabeth Dirks was interrogated and asked, what are your views with regard to the most adorable holy sacrament? And Elizabeth replied,
Elizabeth was saying that eating the bread of communion was not what saved a person's soul, but that eating the bread was a reminder of the life of Jesus. Perhaps one of the boldest answers was given in 1549 by a man named Eelkin. He was interrogated and asked, what do you hold concerning the sacrament? And Eelkin replied, I know nothing of your baked God. Eelkin was saying that the bread itself did not turn into Jesus, but that it was a symbol of Jesus. And uh, what followed the interrogator's words to Eelkin following that were, friend, take care what you say. Such words cost necks. We'll follow uh, those uh, stories, those um, reminders from the Martyr's Mirror with another song, number 478, I Come With Joy. Our next uh, way of reflecting on the meaning of communion is to look at a more recent statement. Um, and this is actually printed on the back of your order of worship. Uh, this is the Confession of Faith in a Mennonite Perspective, uh, which was, I believe, written mostly in the 80s, maybe adopted in the 90s. Um, Article 12 is the Lord's Supper. And you see it pretty much in its entirety on the back there. Uh, it would be great if a couple people would be willing to come up here and read that. One could read the light print and one could read the bold print. Lauren, would you read the light? Someone else to read the bold print? Peter? Thanks, yeah, come on up. There's also a copy here if you want to see bigger print. Eh, my eyes are young. For now. 
You want light or bold? (laughs) We believe that the Lord's Supper is a sign by which the church thankfully remembers the new covenant which Jesus established by his death. In this communion meal, the members of the church renew our covenant with God and with each other. As one body, we participate in the life of Jesus Christ given for the redemption of humankind. Thus we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's Supper points to Jesus Christ, whose body was given for us and whose whose shed blood established the new covenant. In sharing the bread and cup, each believer remembers the death of Jesus and God's act of deliverance in raising Jesus from the dead. As we relive this event with a common meal, we give thanks for all God's acts of deliverance in the past and present, for the forgiveness of sins and for God's continuing grace in our lives. The supper represents the presence of the risen Christ in the church. As we partake of the communion of the bread and cup, the gathered body of believers shares in the body and blood of Christ and recognizes again that its life is sustained by Christ, the bread of life. Remembering how Jesus laid down his life for his friends, we, his followers, recommit ourselves to the way of the cross, confessing our sins to one another and receiving forgiveness. We are to come as one body to the table of the Lord. There, we renew our baptismal covenant with God and with each other, and recognize our unity with all believers, everywhere, in all times. All are invited to the Lord's table who have been baptized into the community of faith, are living at peace with God and with their brothers and sisters in the faith, and are willing to be accountable in their congregation. Celebrating the Lord's Supper in this manner, the church looks forward in joy and hope to the feast of the redeemed with Christ in the age to come. We'll listen to the next song, number 479. There's an audio version of it. You're welcome to sing along if you like, or just listen. Your grace, you are making us fail. 
how you're feeling or experiencing these uh, many, many layers of uh, the meaning of communion. Um, but it strikes me as I hear this song that it's uh, both mystery and something very, very simple. Um, that it's, there's the simple made divine made possible by the grace of God. Um, 
a God who invites us to a life of giving up our life and the difficulty that that is. So maybe it's not surprising that uh, with so much to draw upon from this meal, uh, we're not all in agreement on exactly what to emphasize when it comes to communion. Um, this is true of Christians in general. It's true of us here at Milwaukee Mennonite Church as well. And just want to um, name that and recognize that. Um, uh, and one way I'll do that right now is to read the uh, addendum made to our statement on communion. You can find this on our website. Um, the statement that was made uh, five years ago in April of 2017, following a year where we spent considerable time on the topic of communion. We participated in a quarter-long Christian education discussion of communion, including traditional Mennonite teachings on communion, different communion practices, and sharing our faith backgrounds. We emphasized the Mennonite linking of believers' baptism, one of the tenets of the denomination, with communion as a reminder of one's baptismal vows. This is why traditionally children are not baptized in the Mennonite church, believers' baptism of adults who choose to be baptized, and why traditionally children do not take communion, only those who are baptized take communion. The church desired to move to create a clearer statement on communion. However, in that process, we realized that the members of Milwaukee Mennonite Church have different understandings of the purpose of and symbolism surrounding communion. Our members come from many different church backgrounds and faith traditions, and some have come to the Mennonite faith as adults. Some see communion as a step towards baptism and full participation in church life. In recognition of and gratitude toward our diversity of belief, we do not feel that we can come to consensus now on another statement about communion, and our current statement, the one listed above this, will continue to stand. We recognize the traditional teaching of the Mennonite Church and will continue to use Christian education to teach believers baptism and why Mennonites believe differently about baptism and communion than other Christian denominations. We also understand that our members have various beliefs about communion. However, all believe communion to be central, a central symbol of our faith. For some families, children don't participate in communion until they are baptized. For other families, children choose to participate earlier as a step towards baptism. We desire to create a culture of baptism, keeping at the center of our life together the celebration of God's love and the challenge of Jesus' way of peace and reconciliation. We desire the table to be a welcoming one as Jesus calls us into fellowship with him. We recognize these differences in our current membership. Name the tension that we have seen among our members as we discussed communion and hold both views as equally faithful. Our last song before we move to a time of sharing is 483, Word and Sign. Um, and Lauren and Stevers will help and Lori will help us uh, sing that. Um, we're going to repeat this uh, a number of times, so um, I think six times in all. So join in as you feel ready to sing.
Yeah.